blessed Lunasa and blessed Lamas for those of you who celebrate. We're going to be talking about this day within the wheel of the year. For those of you who don't, you're probably looking outside and seeing the weather getting warmer, farmers markets, barbecues, all the tasty things, the first fruits of summer. This is also a time to reflect on where that food comes from and why having a system of agriculture is so important, why the people who are part of this system are so important. So join us today as we go through and look at this part of the wheel of the year in a new light. So grab your favorite beverage and sit in your favorite chair. It's time to get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. How witches in the United States can honor Lunasa. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Welcome back, listeners. My name is Jessica Carrolls, also known as the Mystic Geek. And today we're going to be talking about Lunasa, which is the first of the harvest festivals of the Wheel of the Year. What I want to do is start off by talking a little bit more about what is Lunasa in the context of the modern world. Then we're going to go a little bit of a different direction. I have a challenge for our American listeners to look at this day in the Wheel of the Year in a different way. And I'll explain why when we get to that point. Let's begin. What is Lunasa? Lunasa is a festival that is from Ireland, and it also includes some revisioning based on contemporary beliefs and different worldviews. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Back in the 1940s and 1950s, a British civil servant named Gerald Gardner pulled together traditions and lores from various cultures to create Wicca. Now, the story or myth of Wicca is that it sought to revitalize holidays and traditions that the Christian church tried to eradicate when converting people in various areas of the world. One of the cultures that Gardner leaned heavily on is that of Ireland. He did so by adding in Irish folk holidays set between the equinoxes and the solstices, also known as the cross quarters, as part of his Wiccan Wheel of the Year that he developed. Lunasa, which is still celebrated in Ireland, is one of those revitalized festivals. As for celebration timing, that is going to depend. Some believe that August 1st is the correct celebration for this holiday. Others prefer to use astrological timing and will celebrate Lunasa on the day that the sun reaches 15 degrees Leo rather than August 1st on the Gregorian calendar. 
Others still might celebrate it on a different day, depending around when the first harvest is in their area. And then finally, this timing of August 1st or around that time frame assumes we're basing the wheel of the year on the seasons in the Northern Hemisphere. For those who are in the Southern Hemisphere, you might feel more drawn to celebrate this uh, around February 1st or whenever the sun reaches 15 degrees Aquarius or whenever the harvest season begins in your area. So we keep talking about harvest seasons. Now, keep in mind that the Wheel of the Year was developed around the agricultural and seasonal cycles of the British Isles. Based on the climate and latitude, late July or early August is when farmers could start harvesting the grain that they had sown earlier in the year. This is why the holiday also has that association with grain. In fact, when Christians started to take over that area, they adopted Lunasa into their own holidays with theirs being called Lamas or Loaf Mass, where they would bless the bread made from the grain. Since Lunasa is an Irish, or in some cases an Irish-inspired holiday, we also need to take a look into the mythology that's tied to that day. For those who are not familiar, Lunasa got its name from Lu, the Irish god. Now, Lu is from Irish mythology. He's of the Tuatha Dé Danann, or the folks or people of the goddess Danu. Some would call the Tuatha Dé Danann a supernatural race. Others said that they were pre-Christian deities, like how I mentioned Lu as an Irish god. Tomato, tomato here. Anyways, back to Lu. His story reads like a talk show saga. Part of Irish mythology is the struggle between two supernatural races, the Tuatha Dé Danann, or the people of the goddess Danu that I shared about earlier, and the Fomorians. Lu is the child of Kian of the Tuatha Dé Danann and Enya of the Fomori. Now, I should also add here that Enya was the daughter of Baelor, one of the leaders of the Fomorians. Baelor himself wasn't too thrilled about the birth because it was prophesied that his own grandson would kill him, and apparently locking his daughter Enya in a tower wasn't effective enough for birth control. Baylor then tried to kill his grandson by drowning him, but was countered by a druidess, or Lianan Shi, whatever you want to interpret it as, Birog, who then gave Lu to Taichu to foster until he was old enough to follow through with his destiny. Now, who's Taichu? She was the queen of the last high king of Ireland before the Tuatha Dé Danann took over the area. So she's the survivor of this huge invasion and then was tasked with keeping this politically charged, prophesied child alive. Now, once Lu was fully grown, the myth is that Tai Chu cleared the plains of Ireland for agriculture and then died of exhaustion from that. Thus, part of Lunasa, this feast honoring Lu, also honors agriculture, and the games that are usually played around this time are a way of honoring Lu's foster mother's sacrifice. According to myth, without her sacrifice, there would have been no harvest. Tile Chu's marriage to the High King of Ireland is also something significant to consider. Part of the lore and belief system is that the king marries the land. So let's think about this concept because it may seem weird. Part of Western civilization is this element of conquest, of taking over, of controlling, and of assimilating. This runs counter to the concept of 
one's connection to the land as a relationship, doesn't it? Part of that belief system here is that relationship, the land, but it's not just the land. It's a relationship with the people. How does all of this relate to the 21st century, especially those of us who do not live in Ireland? I'm going to talk about the area that I know the most about, which is the United States, because I live here. According to the USDA Economic Research Service, American farms are responsible for $164.7 billion a year, which is about 0.7% of our country's $23 trillion gross domestic product. That may not seem like a lot at 0.7%, but keep in mind that the food from these farms funnels through to our economy on so many levels. Crops like wheat, soy, and soybeans need to be processed into flour and other ingredients for cooking. Supermarkets either buy the stuff outright or we have a middle company that purchases these ingredients to make their own foodstuffs. So you can either buy pre-made food at a supermarket to put together for meals or you can go to a restaurant and they will do the buying and cooking for you. All of these components combine farms, manufacturing, stores, food service, and such totals $1.264 trillion in our country's $23 trillion GDP. A pretty big slice there. And this does not take into account machinery that goes for the farms, the factories, and the home. Nor does it take into account the lighting for the grocery store or the supplies for the restaurants or the transportation costs. There are a lot of industries that are impacted by agriculture. This is a huge component of our economy. And because of that, I find it real weird how frail and delicate our farm system is. Unlike working on a factory or an office where there's typically a constant stream of work available, farm work comes in phases. Yes, there's the ongoing prep work and maintenance with the plants that are growing, but it's seriously go time when they are ready to harvest. Food needs to be taken off of the vine or bush or pulled out of the ground before it becomes overripe and rots. And we need people to do the work. This is something that while machines can do it to a certain point, oftentimes for there to be quality, you have to have it done. And the cost for people to do this type of work is typically kept low so that food prices are kept low, which makes it harder to find workers in America. Guess what percentage of farm workers are born outside of the United States? Go on, take a guess. According to the USDA's Economic Research Service, it's 73%. 73% of those who work in agriculture an industry that our own Department of Homeland Security deemed during the pandemic as a critical infrastructure, are immigrants. This is where this whole story of where our food comes from gets personal to me. I'm the great-granddaughter of migrant workers who had a farm near the Mexican-Texas border, Nuevo Leon, if I'm guessing based on the research I've done. And what they would do is they would travel north to help other farmers with their crops. And in some cases, they would go as far north as Wisconsin. 
The children in that family were born on whatever side of the border my great-grandparents were working on when my great-grandmother went into labor. My grandfather happened to be born on the American side of the border in Bishop, Texas. So looking at that aspect of American farming, even though I'm distanced by time and by location now that I'm in Minnesota, it's still part of my heritage. Let's get back to immigrants and American farming. Even with immigrants being 73% of the farm workforce, farmers still struggle to find the workers needed to help them. U.S. citizens don't want these types of jobs where you're working for long hours, are subjected to the elements, and risk injury from either exhaustion or the machinery involved. And when you look at the pay, you probably understand. According to the LA Times, farm workers in the state of California working full-time, earned about $30,000 per year. Now, to give context, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the median income in California in the year 2017 was $70,000. Let's get back to looking at the farm labor force. According to FWD.us, undocumented farm workers, those who do not have the paperwork needed to quote-unquote legally be in the United States or working in the United States. Undocumented farm workers make up approximately half the immigrant farm labor force. Many undocumented workers have lived in the United States for over a decade and have worked for a single employer farm for years. So undocumented workers not only keep our food system going, but they have been dedicated workers, even with the low pay and extreme working conditions. We as Americans are in a bit of a conundrum, especially when we look at the fear-based rhetoric about people from the southern countries crossing the border. Many who seek sanctuary in America are not looking for a free handout. They want a chance to work toward a better life for themselves and their families. And they're doing so while having to pay American taxes, spending in the American economy, yet not having the full benefits of being an American citizen. Just so you know, a lot of the state-based support programs out there, you have to be an American citizen to access them. If you're an undocumented worker, you're not able to access those services. So they're not taking from the tax services. These individuals are doing jobs that Americans don't want to do at a pay that's less than average for the area, and they are doing so in an environment that allows for exploitation without justice. Because keep in mind, if you're undocumented and you are reporting your employer for either shorting pay or being abusive, there's just as much of a chance of you being deported because you're coming out and being visible. So rather than tell you to bake bread in honor of Lunasa, I'm asking you to instead take a deeper look at where your food from your supermarket is coming from and think on the hands that help make it from tending the soil to harvesting the crops to manufacturing and distribution especially if those crops come from places like California or Texas. Think about what life might be like 
if we did not have immigrants tending those fields. Those crops would rot. Farms would be shut down. And it won't just be about that one farm shutting down. The people who own those farms and who work those farms earn money that is then funneled into those local communities. Without that cycle of income and of money, those local economies will dry up. We've seen it before with the automobile factories shutting down in Michigan and surrounding areas. It's going to happen again. And not only that, you at the grocery store will have to pay more for the same items because there's less of a supply. It's just basic economics. But it also means that you're going to have less money available for other expenses. Immigration's impact on farming will still affect you no matter where you are in the United States. So now that you have a better understanding of where your food comes from and how immigrants in America's workforce contribute towards its making, hopefully you can see how you have a vested interest in this whole food ecosystem. The politics of immigration hit you in the stomach and in the pocketbook. And if you're looking at all this and going, what can I do? There are things that you can do to take action. And you don't necessarily need to throw everything into it right away. So you could take action over time. Isn't that amazing? So one way that you can show support is by educating yourself on the topic of immigration so that you can then educate your friends and family when they share misconceptions or worse, misinformation when it comes to immigration and the importance of immigrants within our economy. Another thing that you can do is donate to nonprofits that advocate for immigrant rights, especially those who are in the agricultural sector. Immigrantjustice.org slash how-help provides additional ways that you can help both on a local level as well as on a national level. Now, if you came to this podcast hoping for me to talk about corn dollies or the death of the mythic John Barleycorn, I'm sorry to disappoint you. My own view on paganism and witchcraft is that we're in relationship with the world around us rather than simply being a consumer, or in some case, the consumed. I believe it's vital for us to not only acknowledge these connections, but also to seek justice for those who may be marginalized or exploited within those systems. Hope you found value in this. Let's pivot over to talking about what is coming up over the next few weeks. So on August 6th, a week from today, I'm going to be bringing on Reverend Mary Martin to talk about the dangers of dogma. Reverend Martin has a lot of stories about how she has been impacted by dogma, not just on a religious level, but also a political level and society level. And I feel it's important for us to have conversations around these different things, especially as we're moving into what I consider to be a very interesting time in the United States of America, also the rest of the world. But I feel within the United States, since I have a up close and personal view of all of this, it's important to me. And I feel it might be a heads up for other areas as well on just how messy you can be when you have very established my way or the highway beliefs. Then the following week on August 13th, we're going to bring on Johanna Paulston, 
to talk about leaving fundamentalism. Now, Johanna has an interesting history where she was raised in Calvinist faith. Calvinism is a subgroup within Christianity. And she had some things happen in her life where it made her question what was spiritually authentic to her. So we're going to talk a little bit more about her spiritual journey, what she experienced, how her family reacted, those sorts of things. So with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. Again, blessed Lunasa, blessed Lamas for those who celebrate. And also, as you're going through and trying out different folk traditions, take some time to also think about the harvest. Look at how agriculture is done in your area. Whether we treat the people who work on our food and tend to our food fairly, or whether there may be exploitation and oppression in those systems. And if it's the latter case, look at ways that you can make an impact to help those who are having difficulty helping themselves. This does not have to be something that's done overnight. It does not have to be some massive thing as well. Take those little internal dialogues and set them aside. You can do this simply by educating yourself at first and then by learning more about public policy, by educating others, and by simply being a voice and presence that is willing to tell the truth about where our food comes from. With that, I hope you have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by The Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a Spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing.